to the Garden Church Podcast. The following message was previously recorded at the Garden Church in downtown Long Beach, California. We're going to be in Luke chapter 4, verses 4 through 8. It's one of probably Jesus' most um, familiar uh, parables. Uh, it's one of the few that he explains. Um, and so we have a sense from this one. It's kind of a paradigmatic parable that helps us to know uh, what parables do, how they function uh, in Jesus' teaching, why he uses them. Um, and uh, this is a particular one because it gets used in different ways depending on which of the Gospels we're looking at. So we're looking at it in the Gospel of Luke today. And Luke uses this parable in Jesus' lips, uh, probably a parable that he told multiple times and explained multiple ways how it, how it meant, what it meant. So I'm not anxious about the differences between the story as recorded in Matthew and, and, and Luke because they are different, and his explanations of the parable are slightly different in each of these Gospels. Uh, But before we get in this, uh, I want to just underline again how important it is as as we kind of are on this journey with Jesus through the Gospel of Luke to remember that what he's doing here is absolutely stunning to his audience. These are, these, are, these are folks who have been trained in an awareness of the coming of the kingdom, but with an expectation that the, that the life they live now will end and the kingdom will come. So the idea, as Jesus has announced, and it is Darren and we have talked about over the last few weeks, that the kingdom is available for entry now while they are still living in this environment is mind-blowing to them. And the implications of that are startling to them because the, the, the understanding of the kingdom's coming is unprecedented good news. But when Jesus announces that the kingdom is available for entry now, it becomes clear very, very quickly that the kingdom's coming isn't always going to be good news for everybody. It's going to be a challenge. It's going to be provocative. It's going to cause a division sometimes even between fathers and sons, mothers and daughters. Uh, It's going to create tension before it releases that tension into the final coming of the new age. Uh, And and this is kind of the the backstory of this parable. Uh, Jesus is moving more now into his public ministry. He is uh, gaining notoriety. And remember, one of Luke's purposes in his gospel is to um, help his sponsor, Theophilus, and through his uh, financial sponsorship... Um, others to come to an awareness of, of what actually the Christ story is about and what it means. And so he starts off, and we'll just read it here in Luke chapter 4, uh, and we'll begin at verse, uh, verse 4. Luke chapter 8, sorry. Luke chapter 8 and begin at verse 4. Uh, we'll go ahead and read it. Um, While a large crowd was gathering and people were coming to Jesus from town after town, he told this parable. A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell among the path, and it was trampled on, and the birds ate it. Some fell on rocky ground, and when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up with it and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil, and 
it came up and yielded a crop a hundred times more than was sown. When he said this, he called out, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. So his disciples asked him what this parable meant. He said, well, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to others I speak in parables, so that even though they see, they may not see, even though they hear, they may not understand. This is the meaning, then, of the parable. The seed is the word of God. Those along the path are the ones who hear. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. Those on the rocky ground are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no root. They believe for a while, but in the time of testing, they fall away. The seed that fell among thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, by riches, by pleasures, and they never mature. But the seed on the good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, who retain the word, and by persevering, produce a crop. No one lights a lamp and hides it in a clay jar or puts it under a bed. Instead, they put it on a stand so that those who come in can see the light. For there is nothing hidden that will not be disclosed, nothing concealed that will not be known or brought out into the open. So consider carefully how you listen. Because whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what they think they have, will be taken from them. So this is a, a, a parable of division. It's a parable of persistence. It's a parable of responses to the gospel. And so Jesus invites us into this, and so I'm going to uh, invite you into it. Um, let's go back to verse 4, and we'll just kind of walk through this very quickly. Darren has told me I now have 27 minutes, even though I understand he took 56 three weeks ago, so I'm probably going to cheat. Just saying. <laughs> While a large crowd was gathering and people were coming to Jesus from town after town, he told this parable, just really snapshot here, part of Luke's purpose is to say to his sponsor, Theophilus, and through him to the rest of the community, we didn't do any of these things in secret. This isn't something we made up. There are tens of thousands of people who have heard of this man, Jesus, who know his story. This is really important, especially even though 2,000 years later, we want to look back and say this was all manufactured. The people on the ground at the time, I shouldn't say we want to do that. There are those who want to look back at the story of Jesus and wonder if it was not a manufactured story to make a political or a religious or even a spiritual point. And Luke wants us, as our primary witness, among others, to say to us, no, this wasn't done in a corner someplace. This wasn't manufactured out of whole cloth. This didn't just arise because of a group of people wanted political or spiritual power. In fact, there are tens of thousands of people who I could give you the names of who can bear witness, at least to the reality of Jesus and the message that he spoke. What you do with that message is a different thing, but don't throw it out. You can't ignore this reality. This is kind of Luke's 
uh, philosophy or, 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 or belief uh, that as he, as he bears witness to this story, that it will have power and validity on its own. However, notice Jesus now is coming into higher degrees of popularity. So this parable is kind of one of the first ones that he tells as he's beginning to move out of the northern part of Galilee and begin to stretch his ministry into other places. And more and more and more people are now coming face to face with the fact of who Jesus is and what it means for him to be who he is. And so he tells a parable so his disciples and those followers can understand how people are responding in many ways then to the, to the gospel. How do they respond to the good news, to the word that is proclaimed? And Jesus suggests that there are going to be at least four possible responses to this sowing of this seed. In the first case, uh, the, the, the farmer goes out and he's, he's, he's referring to the kind of the broadcast method of sowing seed in the ancient, uh, ancient world in the first century. And while there's a high degree of precision that's available for an expert in this, clearly still, still some seed is going to fall in places where perhaps it might not be um, most profitable. There's no GPS coordinate that we put onto our tractors now uh, when we do the agribusiness farming that uh, distribute both seed and fertilizer in appropriate measure based on the soil uh, con- you know, the, the, what, what the soil is, we've mapped it out, we've done a chemical analysis, and our GPS now tells us where we are in the field to produce exactly the right kind of crop. That, that's not the case here. Now we're just throwing seed at the dirt, right? However, some of the seed, he said, falls on the, on, on the path in the, in the year since or in the few months since our uh, last harvest. We have used this field... Uh, as as the path, uh, we we cut across it on the way into town. Remember, we we've done that. And over the over the year, this this path, the diagonal on the field, if you will, that's the word that's used, has gotten worn pretty 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 solidly down. And some of the seed is just inevitably going to fall on that. Typically, in the first century, they wouldn't plow before; uh, they would plow afterwards. So they would plow the seed under the soil. Uh, after having sown it. So n- now this path is pretty hard, and some of the seed just bounces on it, and birds come along, and it's gone. He's going to tell us that sometimes that happens. Sometimes, he says, uh, the seed falls on the rocky ground, and the, the language here refers to probably a, a shelf of limestone underneath the f- three or four inches of topsoil. So in the back corner of the field, we know kind of roughly where it is, but as the waters come up of the spring rains and the silt sediment, we're not exactly sure where that, that rocky shelf is. So we sow uh, over where, the, where, that, where the, the, the three or four or five inches of topsoil have, have settled over that shelf. We're not exactly sure where it is. Sometimes it helps. It comes up there. Some of the seed falls along the kind of the edges where over the years generations of farmers have, 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 have used that thorn hedge to separate themselves from the neighbor next door. Some of the seed falls along, along the edge there. And when it grows up, it gets choked out. But on some of, this, some of the seed falls on good soil and it comes up and it yields a crop. He says, a hundred times more than was sown and at this point. Probably many in Jesus' audience are convinced that he should stick to carpentry. Because he clearly doesn't know anything about sowing seed. 
the typical crop at first century Palestine, somewhere between eight and ten fold. And Jesus is saying, when this, when this seed hits good soil, a hundred times. This is a, a, a hundred year harvest in first century Palestine is something in the vicinity of thirty fold. So Jesus says this seed is of such power that when it lands and finds decent soil, it produces a hundred times more than was sown. It's that, that kind of seed. And people are, whoa, where do we file this in our understanding? He goes on, and, and his disciples, go ahead, uh, Alyssa, please, thanks. And uh, what, is he, what, what does this mean? Jesus is teaching in parables. It's a fairly typical rabbinic approach where you, where you convey truth by story. Stories are much more memorable than propositions. You can't argue with the story. The story gets in under your skin. So Jesus tells stories as, as strategy. He tells stories as a way to invite people into a capital T truth that's much, much bigger than any facts of propositions might convey. And he invites them to let this story work itself into the fabric of their understanding. And invites them into the story itself. This is not a story he's going to suggest, I think, that is about somebody else. This is a story about you. Because in the truth, all four seeds are represented in every single person throughout any time the word is spoken. This is not just about you being a particular type of seed. Even with the lighting as bad as it is in here, at least from my perspective, I'm watching and all of you are all four of these seeds. You really want to be the good seed, but every once in a while you kind of slip into being the seed that the seed bounces off your foreheads. It's like, oh, did I remember to lock the car? This is 7th Street after all. I hope the guys are watching. Right? And, and, and I said something real significant and important right there in that moment. And what did you hear? Nothing. Not your fault. Jesus is just saying this is reality. This is reality. This is what's going to happen. Does that make sense? And so he goes on and, and, and says, knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom has been given to you. Now, the truth is the disciples are surprised by this because what are they now doing? They're asking him to tell them what he's talking about. And he just tells them, well, you guys know the secrets. The reason I tell parables is not for you, it's for them. They're asking, however, for clarification. This is Jesus' way of inviting them into the mystery of what they know but don't know. And he suggests to them that parables have a very important purpose. It, for those people who see, parables bring clarity. For those people who don't see, parables continue obscurity. He's echoing, perhaps you recall, the passage from Isaiah that we referenced here a couple of three months, uh, weeks ago. Where Jesus is suggesting that, 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 that Isaiah's ministry is to harden hearts. It's to draw lines in the sand. It's to create places over which if you, if you step, you're in a land of understanding. But if you don't step, you're not in a land of understanding. Jesus is aware that people don't believe things because they're true, necessarily. They believe things because the draw of their hearts 
The desire of their hearts makes sense of what they're hearing. In other words, if they have eyes to see, they see. But if they don't, they don't. If they have ears to hear, they hear. But if they don't have ears to hear, what was that? So Jesus is suggesting that the parables serve as a, as a, as a, as a line in the sand for folks. That, that if there's understanding, greater understanding comes. Remember, this is how he's going to end it. But if, if there's no willingness to understand, there is no understanding. I'm having a conversation with uh, students on a regular basis who come to conclusions about the gospel uh, as being false in one form or another because they find a contradiction in Scripture or because they, 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 they are challenged with the way of inspiration. A variety of things come, come, come up. Come up. And I have to say, almost inevitably, it's rarely an intellectual crisis at the end of the day. Almost always, it's a crisis not of faith, but of behavior. If I believe, then I need to change the way that I'm living. I don't want to change the way that I'm living, therefore I can't believe. Do, do you see how that works? And Jesus is, that's what he's saying here. Look. If, if you see, if you get it, then this brings clarity and precision and focus. But if you don't see, then nothing but obscurity. Because if you don't want to believe something, you'll find a reason not to believe it. If you don't want to do something, you will manufacture reasons. Am I the only one that does this? I'm thinking not. All right. We find ways to... And so this is, this is what he's saying. But then he goes on and unpacks it. He says, first of all... Uh, the, go ahead, verse uh, next. Thank you. Uh, the parable, this, the seed sown is the word of God, the preaching of the gospel, the good news of the kingdom come. The path, we've walked on it, seed bounces off, and then the devil comes, takes the word away so that they don't believe and be saved. They don't have the option. It just bounces off. They're distracted, perhaps. But this, is, this Jesus says, is what happens. This is what happens. But then he says there are some who ha- have that rocky, rocky ground. And, the, and, and because it, it sows over those four or five inches of topsoil, that ground gets kind of superheated when the water begins to recede. That ground gets superheated. That, that seed germinates very, very quickly, punches down roots, and they bounce off the top of that limestone. So that when that plant is starting to grow up and the sun, the Middle Eastern sun hits that, it just causes them to wither because they have no roots. He says some people are like that. They, they believe for a while. They believe quickly and passionately for a while. But then testing comes. Tough times come. Then it challenges. Then it gets difficult. And what happens? They fall away because they, they don't have any roots. And sometimes the seed falls among the thorns. Uh, these people hear the seed, begins to grow up. It's decent soil, but as it begins to grow up, because of where they are, because of the things around them, he says, uh, they get choked out. And what they're choked out by are life's worries. So please notice, these folks, Jesus says, believe with all their hearts. But as the seed begins to grow, as that takes root and begins to grow up, they start to get anxious about their kids and whether following Jesus perhaps is beneficial for their children in an age of persecution. 
Or maybe they get distracted because they can't, as a disciple of Jesus, keep a job. They have lost their civil rights in Roman society. They've lost their land. They get distracted by worries. Anybody understand how that works? Now, please, not, it's not worries about the gospel. It's just worries. It, it's how am I going to pay the bills? It's, it's, it, 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 is, that, is that hairline crack that I'm seeing emerge in my marriage, is that going to, is that going to split wide open? Uh, that, 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 that situation that I'm dealing with, the, 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 the worries, right? Just the anxieties. This generation, by this I mean the, the millennial postmodern post generation, is the single most anxious generation in the history of the world. Panic attacks, anxiety disorders, clinical issues of various kinds. I'm thinking there's a strategy here, friends, that is being applied in some very significant ways. And one of the reasons why I think as we dedicate our children, as we dedicate ourselves, as we pray through this, that we need to be very alert that the anxieties we're dealing with are not the problem. They're distracting us. That's the problem. And he says it's not just anxieties. It's not just worries. It's riches. And pleasures. That, that, that when the kingdom comes, it calls into question the priorities. And we get distracted. Anybody feel the pull of the distraction? For other people, I mean. It's for other people. This is probably going to be a challenge for some folks. And notice what it says here. It's not that they don't grow. It's not that they don't produce a stock and leaves. It's just that they don't mature. The goal of wheat is not green. The goal of wheat is kernels of grain in the head. That's what maturity is measured by. Do you see? And then he says some of it falls on that good soil uh, with good heart, and they hear the word and retain it. And notice the word that he says, by persevering produce a crop. This is a parable of response, but it's also a parable of perseverance, of hanging in there, of not quitting when it gets hard, of facing the challenges head on, of leaning into pain rather than running from it, of, of, of having made a decision to follow Jesus, to continue in following Jesus. This, by the way, for Luke is going to be a major theme. He's going to hit on this idea of persistence over and over and over again. He is persistent on pushing persistence. Whether it's about prayer in Luke 18 or here in this persistence in the gospel, they just hang in there and don't quit. How many of you have felt, as I have, uh, the temptation every once in a while just to quit? It's hard sometimes to follow Jesus. It has some very real implications in how I spend my money and how I manage my sexuality and how I deal with stuff going down at work and how I manage. Doesn't, doesn't anybody just think, you know, can, can I just step out of this for five minutes? I really want to deck this guy. I'll repent. I really will. I'll, I'll, I'll feel bad afterwards. Will that help? Right? And if that were the only piece, that would be one thing. But sometimes, the, I, 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 sometimes it's not 
the extraordinary. It's just the, the ordinary. Sometimes it just feels, if you'll forgive me, one, one damn thing after another. Just one foot after another, just keeping on, keeping on and doing it. And, 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 and I'm really thinking that for many of us, the real challenge is not the, the great days of grandeur and glory. It's just the mundane every day, in and out, going to work and making a home and paying the bills and fixing the stinking sink. <laughs> Anybody feel the tension? And you think, the kingdom has come? Really? This is it? This is the kingdom? There's a whole long season of growth and maturity where nothing seems to be happening. And Jesus says, it's by persistence that the crop is produced. By hanging in there. By one foot after the other. By continuing to continue. That's what it takes. That's what it takes. That's what I think we're later on going to be talking about what it means to walk by faith. Sometimes you show up at church and God shows up in such amazing ways, right? Last few weeks, just stunning, powerful encounters with the living God. And sometimes you show up at church, nothing. Is God not present? Of course He's present. Are you not present? Of course you're present. What's he doing? He's training you in faithful persistence. Which means what? Showing up. Being engaged. Choosing to worship whether you feel like it or not. Do do, do you see? And and Jesus is saying, and you can almost feel, can't you? uh, You can almost feel the weight in his heart. It's by persistence. That the crop is produced. It's easy to start, friends. The race, the marathon's not run, not not won in the at the beginning or the end. It's won in the middle. By the folks who have set a reasonable enough pace that it gets them through the wall. I don't know why I'm well, I do know why I'm some of you are at that place right now. It's it's just one foot after the other. In Jesus' name. Right? Because I think those are the tensions that I feel in our, our community here. I think the distractions are huge for some of us. The distractions are huge. But for others of us, it's just keeping on, keeping on. Yeah? And Jesus is saying, here's what happens. Go ahead, Alyssa. Thanks. No one lights a lamp and hides it in clay. Instead, they put it on a stand so that those who come in and see the light, nothing's hidden that will not be disclosed. Nothing concealed that will be not be known or brought out into the open. He's just saying everybody's going to get it. What's inside is going to come out. But here's the line that I want to land on for just one minute. Consider then carefully how you listen. Whoever has, sees, hears, will be given more. If you have ears to hear, you'll hear. If you have eyes, you'll see. But... For the one who thinks what they, they have, will be, even that will be taken away from them. If you don't have ears to hear, it's not an intellectual apprehension that he's after. It's a deep awareness that this has a growth, a truth to it that I want to lean into. So what's the outcome? 
Here we have this persistence. Let your light shine. This is the appropriate response, time after time after time. And sometimes, sometimes, it's just a single letting of your little light shine. It's not, a, it's not big deal righteousness. It's not heroism. It's, it's just showing up and doing your job. And Jesus says, when you do that, even that little bit that you've got will be increased. But if you don't do that, even the little bit you think you got, you lose. You lose. A couple of things. Some of us, while both seeds are also sowers, we've got loved ones that we care about into whose lives we've been sowing seed, sometimes words, sometimes our lives and lifestyles for a long time. Yes? What's the responsibility of the sower vis-a-vis the harvest? Nothing. We're not responsible for outcomes. What are we responsible for? Sowing. That's what we do. That's what we do. What if it doesn't work? None of your business. None of your business. Make sure the seed's good. Make sure it's really the gospel seed that you're sowing. But keep sowing. Because outcomes, not your business. Inputs, that's your business. Faithfulness, you can do that. Persistent, yeah? Keep sowing. Outcomes are not in the hands of the sower. But the piece I want to underline is don't get distracted. And keep on keeping on. Amen? I think it's a beautiful way to bring us into baptism. So Darren's going to come up and do that. Uh, but I want to just invite you to just take a moment. Would you do that? Let's just uh, sit and, uh, and Faith and the rest of our team are going to come up. I just love this part of our worship. Uh, but uh, as we set up uh, this, would you mind just bowing your heads with me for just a moment and giving careful consideration to the word of the Lord to you? Lord Jesus, we sit with this um, familiar and yet challenging text and find ourselves, I find myself, even today, um, kind of pinned up against the wall by it. I am more concerned, O Lord, about the text that I do understand than I am about the ones that I don't. And this is a text that calls us to keep showing up whether it works or not, to keep following Jesus, whether it produces the kind of outcomes we want or not, to be persistent, to let our light shine, to let what is truly inside come out. And so I pray for us as a community who are here in this city on a hill. I pray, O Lord, for us at our places of employment. I pray for us in our homes, in our neighborhoods. I pray, O Lord, for that one or two or three persons here who may be the only light that shines in the darkness of their family system. O God, let their light shine. Don't let them get distracted by worries. Don't let them get blown out by by being pulled sideways by pleasures or riches. Let their light shine, Lord. Help them to persist in faithful following. For those of us, O Lord, who have been disciples for a while, I ask you to give us courage to continue to be disciples for a whole lot longer. In Jesus' name, amen.
Thank you for listening to the Garden Church Podcast. For more information about the Garden Church, visit thegardenlb.org.